0: everybody welcome to overbooked with mike freeland hope everybody's week is going well just to recap if you didn't get a chance to hear chapter one it is in the archives we basically covered tri-state wrestling joel goodhart his radio show his crowds whether he was financially successful or not uh wearing a belt backstage his infamous run-ins with Missy Hyatt, and obviously going bankrupt, and what basically led Tri-State Wrestling to become Eastern Championship Wrestling. So we left off Chapter 1 with two names, Bob Ortiz and Todd Gordon. So what Bob Ortiz and Todd Gordon did in Chapter 2 is they basically took a look at what Joel had created with Tri-State Wrestling, and they said, okay, I do see some things here that Joel did well. I do see some things that Joel did not do very well. And I think it was pretty obvious to both Bob and Todd that from a financial perspective, Joel was basically, I mean, running in the red all the time. Yes, he did have money, so he could afford to bring in some stars that had appeared in the WWF or WCW or even in Memphis, but the problem was that who was Joel really trying to entertain? I mean, was this something that he wanted to put a product out for the fans or was this something that he wanted to entertain himself with? And we kind of teased about it a little bit in chapter one, but it really does beg a really good question. You know, anytime you are trying to put on a show, you want to find out what is going to appeal to my audience the most, what's going to make the most sense and what's going to keep me within my budget. And I think Joel was really, and this is my opinion, doing this for his own self-gratification. And nothing is necessarily wrong with that if you have the capital to do these kinds of things. But he didn't, and he burned through a ton of money, and he was out of business quickly. So that's kind of the perspective that you know Bob Ortiz and Todd Gordon were looking at. We don't want to go out of business. We don't want to fall victim to the same mistakes that Joel Goodhart did. So, in Todd's office, they decided to say, All right, what are we going to do here? We still want to do wrestling. They were both huge wrestling fans. We want to create a new company, but we don't want to call it Tri State Wrestling. Obviously, we want to get that taste out of everybody's mouth. Not to say it was necessarily a bad taste, but it's always good to turn the page. And plus, Todd and Bob wanted to have their own stamp on the wrestling world, they wanted to have their own name. So they decided to call it Eastern Championship Wrestling. So Bob was going to be Todd's partner. Todd was going to be the decision maker and obviously the money backer. So the first thing that they needed to do with creating this brand new company out of the ashes of Tri-State was to go ahead and have a booker. And they also needed to have somebody who was going to run sound and production. So the first guy they ended up hiring was Larry Winters, and he was the first booker. So you're probably asking yourself, well, who is Larry Winters in the course of this whole story? Larry was a local Philadelphia wrestler who did work under Joel. He had a good relationship with Todd Gordon and Bob Ortiz, and he still wanted to be a part of this brand new project that Ortiz and Gordon were trying to put together. They liked him. They liked some of his ideas. So Larry got pegged to be the booker. Then there was a guy by the name of Steve Truitt. Now, Steve Truett came in, obviously, and met with Todd and Bob, and he was the guy who was going to run the sound for the shows that they were going to eventually run under the banner of Eastern Championship Wrestling. So he was going to be their production guy. So right off the bat, they already have a booker and they already have a production guy, which is good. You, you need to have the stable foundation of these things before you do anything more. So when it came to the vision that Todd had, and and we talked about how there was a clash of philosophy, maybe not necessarily just with spending money, but also with handling talent. So here were some of their bullet point goals that they went over in Todd's office. We want to spend less money. We want to use more local guys. We do want to have a smaller venue. We can occasionally bring in a star, but we have to make sure that there's a reason to bring in that star. And I think all of those things make sense. So instead of running the Philadelphia Convention Hall, which was such a big venue to run, and if you're only getting maybe two or 300 people at a time, your show doesn't look as impressive when you have two or 300 people in a very large building when you have so much empty space around them. So I think Todd wanted the perception of the new company to seem like it was – more packed, more filled. So that's when they started to run Mike Schmidt's Sports Bar. Now, they ran Mike Schmidt's Sports Bar, and it only held about 250 people, but that was fine because if we look back into Chapter 1, you know, Joel was running some shows that had over a 1,000 people, but he was also running a lot of shows that had right around 300, maybe 400. So running Mike Schmidt's Sports Bar wasn't a bad idea. If you can get 250 people in there, that's good. Instead of having you know bleachers or having steel chairs, they would have high top tables that would surround the ring, so people obviously could so eat and drink and still enjoy the show. It was funny because when you look at the mentality as far as when a person has a vision of what they want their company to be, so let's first start off with Joel. Joel wanted to use a lot of guys that were already known guys when it came to. Tri-State Wrestling. So he's bringing in these guys. He's paying them a lot of money. Well, Todd Gordon's vision of what he wanted to make Eastern Championship Wrestling was basically 70s and 80s style wrestling, and that was verified by Bill Apter. And Bill basically said, and I'm and I'm paraphrasing, that Gordon's vision of it was what he knew as a fan which, I mean, I don't blame him for that. I mean, we want to emulate things that we like, so that's what he wanted to do. So getting to the vision that Todd had, he was using more local guys to so the roster, had guys like Rock and Rebel and Johnny Hotbody and Tony Stetson and obviously the Sandman was was there. So you still had the local guys who obviously weren't going to cost as much money to run the shows. And yeah, they would bring in a guy every once in a while, but they were happy with Mike Schmidt's sports bar because it looked really, really good. So as time kind of goes on here, Todd gets an opportunity to go ahead and shoot a pilot for a TV show. So they go ahead and they shoot a pilot. Not really sure what was going to come of this. But the television network in Philadelphia, Prism, had a time slot open. They were looking for some type of program, and they immediately decided to take on Eastern Championship Wrestling. So now Todd has an outlet to air his program, which once again is a step up from what Joel had. Joel didn't have television access. He was really relying on people to show up to his supercard shows. So Todd has a Booker and Larry Winters, He's got a business partner in Bob Ortiz. He's got Steve Truitt who's running production. He's moved into a smaller venue, which is Mike Schmidt Sports Bar. He shot a pilot for uh, a television network, and now he's ended up getting the contract for that. So this was really, really good. So Todd now decides, well, man, we got to come up with who's going to be our voice of our show. Well, it was kind of a roundtable uh, discussion, which everyone sat down, and they decided, well, who would be the best? So the first guy they brought in was someone by the name of Dick Graham. Now, Dick Graham called matches for the WWF up in Philadelphia. They thought, man, let's bring in Dick. Dick has experience with wrestling, obviously worked for the World Wrestling Federation. And Dick just – it didn't work out. So Dick didn't work out, so they brought in a guy by the name of Bob Smith, So Bob Smith actually was working for Wrestling Illustrated Magazine at the time. So they thought, man, he's got some experience. He obviously works within the industry already. Let's see if Bob's going to work out. Well, Bob didn't quite work out the way that they were hoping for. So next, they bring in a guy by the name of Stevie Wonderful. So Stevie Wonderful was pegged to be the color guy and commentator. So they were hoping that that was finally going to stick. Maybe the third time is the charm. Well, we're kind of jumping ahead here in the timeline, but Stevie Wonderful was actually fired on air. It was a work by Paul Heyman who came out and then at that time became the voice of Eastern Championship Wrestling. Now, we are definitely going down the timeline a little bit uh, prematurely, but Dick Graham, Bob Smith, Stevie Wonderful, and then obviously Paul Heyman, and then we'll eventually get to the most recognized voice in ECW, which would have been Joey Styles. So let's kind of pause here for a second, and let's kind of talk about what was really kind of going on with ECW. Now with Joel, Joel really liked to emulate the Southern style of wrestling. So if a lot of people are not really quite sure, in the different territories in the 70s and in the 80s, you had different territories and each territory had its own distinct style. You know, in the Northeast, you'd have one type of style. In the South, you'd have another type of style. So the Northeast, I mean, you could have two guys go at it and they could do a Broadway. Um, You could obviously have two guys do these long matches in the Carolinas. But when it came down to the Southern wrestling, it was a lot more violent. It was a lot more uh, aggressive. There was more blood that was used and that kind of starts to tap into what is now looked upon as being hardcore, which is the weapons, the blood, the tables, all of that kind of stuff. So when you think about hardcore, I want to bring up a name that is going to become very important as we go along in our story, and that is Onida. So if you're not familiar with Onida, definitely recommend uh, going ahead and looking him up. There is a fantastic, Fantastic um, series of videos on YouTube that talks about FMW, and it talks about the history of FMW. And so, if you want to, FMW Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling is really one of the pioneers when it came to this, and Onita had a lot to do with that. So Onita was actually the first graduate of Giant Baba's dojo, and he was going to be the star of all Japan Pro Wrestling, which was actually the counterpoint to New Japan Pro Wrestling. So you had one group who did New Japan, you had one group that did All Japan, and they very rarely crossed promotions and worked for each other. You might be asking yourself, well, what does that have to do with ECW? Well, New Japan Pro Wrestling was a lot more on the technical side, it was, looked more as a sport, and then you had All Japan, which was a lot more violent, there was more weapons that were involved, it was... A lot of what would become ECW. So you're starting to understand where some of these early influences on what would become ECW would happen already in Japan. And with Japan, Onita was actually uh, a big fan of Terry Funk. So Onita is wrestling in All Japan Pro Wrestling for Baba. Onita ends up getting injured, he injures his knee. He rehabs his knee, he comes back, he, he's never quite the same. Unfortunately, Baba has to let him go. That was supposed to be, like I said, the figure piece of his company. So he lets him go, Onita has a relationship with Funk. Onita flies over to the United States, and he ends up having some time spent with Funk on his ranch. Now, Baba was so high on Onita that between Japan and the Carolinas, those two would come over quite frequently, and obviously talent from the Carolinas and the Crockett's would go over to Japan as well. So Baba had really invested a lot of time and a lot of money in Onita, but when he got injured, he wasn't able really to perform at the high level. He let him go getting back to it. Onita is now in the United States. He's hanging out with Terry Funk on his ranch, and he's starting to learn from the Funk family about the style of Southern wrestling, specifically in Memphis. And that's when Onita obviously gets more of an idea of, man, when I go back to Japan, maybe I want to do something a little bit different. Obviously, I'm not going back to All Japan Pro Wrestling, so he decided to create FMW, which was the fire, the barbed wire, the explosive, all of that kind of stuff. So now you're kind of seeing the transition of where we are at this time. So you see, obviously, Japan, was ahead of itself when it came to hardcore wrestling as a spectacle because it really wasn't happening very much in the United States, obviously outside of what was happening in the southern states in the Memphis wrestling. And those of you who are big fans of Memphis wrestling, you know, you realize that in the territory of where Jerry Lawler was, a lot of blood was was spilled there. And it was really considered innovative because you didn't really have a lot of that in the northeast a lot of blood was not a big part of their regular shows so jumping back into eastern Championship wrestling here in 1993 just to give you an idea of who was on the roster at the time for Bob Ortiz and Todd Gordon you had Jimmy Snuka you had Don Morocco you had tons of local guys such as Super Destroyers JT Smith Tony Stetson and the other names that I had mentioned in chapter one as well. But right now they were still staying pretty consistent with around 200 to 500 people coming to their shows. So at this point in time, Todd Gordon decides, well, we're starting to outgrow Mike Schmidt's Sports Bar. We do have an outlet for a television show. I think at this point in time, we might want to grow a little bit more and we might want to put ourselves in a different venue. So this is where the ECW arena comes into play. Once again, the ECW arena is not a very big arena, but once again, it's those baby steps. I think that Bob and Todd looked at and they said, "All right, well, we're going to start here. If we grow, we'll go to here. If we grow, we'll go to here." That's where Joel didn't really get the the connection between being successful. He kind of went balls to the wall, all out. And unfortunately, you know, if you look at a lot of small businesses, you know, within the first, I want to say it's two to three years, most small businesses don't survive. And obviously for Joel, it it didn't survive. We're going to introduce you to another character in our story that you're going to hear a lot about. And I feel like this individual doesn't get enough credit for their impact in Eastern Championship Wrestling, which once again soon became extreme, was superfan John Bailey, And you might not know him by John Bailey, but you may know him by Hat Guy. And Hat Guy always sat in the front row for the Eastern Championship wrestling shows. He was also there when it was Joel's promotion, which was Tri-State. He loved wrestling. He was a local guy who loved wrestling. He loved to go to the Spectrum and watch the WWF. And now he heard that there was going to be another promotion that was going to be running more consistently in his area. So he decided, well, why not? I'm going to be a part of this. So he went ahead and started coming to all these shows. And he later, once again, I'm jumping down the timeline here a little bit. He would end up becoming a part of the ECW family. And he had a relationship where he wanted front row seats, he and his brother. So they would agree to come in and set up chairs. And eventually he ended up working the ticket booth as well. But as long as they helped out, they were comped their front row seats. And that's all he wanted. Doesn't want to get paid. He just loves wrestling. And I'd like to have my same seat with my brother all the time. And that's what ended up happening here. So we're starting to realize something very, very important when it comes to ECW, and that's the fans. I mean, the fans are such a vital part of this whole thing. And when you start to understand that the fans made ECW, it wasn't just the talent. Because you could have the talent, but if you don't have anybody to perform in front of, it doesn't mean anything. And the fans were the ones that you know were so vibrant and so active and so vocal that a lot of the wrestlers have said in this book that they fed off of that. And that there was really no type of crowd or audience that they'd ever performed in front of before, such as the ones in Philadelphia. All right. So Bob Ortiz and Todd Gordon – Uh, decide, you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna have to make a change here. So Gordon decided that as the company was growing, they had the TV pilot. They wanted to make some changes. Todd decided that we're growing, but we need to make sure that we continue to grow. And that means we're gonna need some contacts within the wrestling industry. And Larry didn't really have a very long reach for other people to contact to maybe bring in to maybe find out if they're available. So he decided, man, i got to find a booker who's going to be able to do that. He's going to have a Rolodex of people that he can reach out to and somebody who also might be a little bit more creative than Larry was. So when we go into Chapter 3, this is when we are introduced for the very first time to Eddie Gilbert. Now, Eddie Gilbert, I mean, a lot of people have opinions about Eddie Gilbert. Some people have A higher thought of Eddie. Some people don't have a high thought of Eddie. But I think no matter what you think about Eddie Gilbert, the one thing you can never deny is the fact that he had a big impact in the wrestling industry. You know, he not only was a fantastic performer, but he also was a creative mind as well. And we're going to chronicle his experiences with the UWF and Bill Watts uh, about being on the booking. And then, obviously, his time in World Championship Wrestling—how that came to an end, and how he finally ended up becoming a part of Eastern Championship Wrestling. That's going to do it for Chapter Two of our book. We will catch you next time when we introduce Eddie Gilbert. And Chapter Three, we'll see you next time. The world of MLW Radio never stops.